Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's going to be just like, what is, what is the opposite of ASMR? It's going to be that. <laughs> well, I was thinking instead, like, if somebody, you know, swears or anything like that, instead of a bleep, we can just play Dana blowing his nose. Oh, that's perfect. Gross. Son of a... <laughs> Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Hey everybody, how are we doing today? Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. How is it going, friends? And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from decklists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on EDHRECcast, we're going to give all that data a little bit more context. We have another guest on today. Ladies and gents, please welcome a man whose articles are a geological marvel because they take you on a dig through time, Dean Goody. Hey, how's it going? As our listeners may know, Dean co-hosts the Commander Time podcast with Patrick Sapola and our previous guest, Nate Burgess, and he authors the Dig Through Time article series on EDH Rec. Dean, thanks so much for being on with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So we just wanted to have you on to talk about your Dig Through Time article series, and after that, we'll be talking about some of our favorite older cards and how they relate to EDH. You guys ready? Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's dig in. So, Dean, let's get to know you a little bit. What kind of decks do you play? So... We were talking about this a little bit in Slack today, where Patrick con- confirmed my suspicion that I'm a griefer, which is sort of a Timmy variant when I'm brewing decks. But then in actual practice of play, I don't find griefer decks very much fun to play. I don't know. I, I sort of like to build unusual combo-ish decks. My current favorite deck is probably a Grixis clones deck, which is actually going to be featured in my upcoming article. And... Uh, some other decks I play are uh, Dragonlord Dramoka, Tribal Angels, and something else I've been playing a lot lately. Oh, uh, Mazarek, who got a couple of new toys with uh, Dominaria. 
Masurek's definitely fun. I remember in the Slack chat, some of the cards you were saying you enjoy are cards such as Opalescence or Godhead of Awe, which just make the game no fun for everyone else. Well, I enjoy them in theory. I don't actually run those cards in any decks. So you're a griefer, you're, you're a griefer in theory, but in practice, you're a teddy, you're a teddy bear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. See, that's what separates you from me, Dean, is I'm the one who actually plays, you know, all those cards in the real decks. You know, get my, my Dovescape going and have no regrets. Oh, I mean, none of this changes the fact that my playgroup uh, enjoys targeting me out of the gate. But uh, yeah, I don't actually play things like uh, Godhead of Awe or Humility or anything like that. That's definitely a relief for me to hear. Yeah. So, Dean, you've got an upcoming uh, Twitch stream that you just started doing on a weekly basis. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, last week was our first episode, our uh, our freshman, our inaugural episode. I interviewed uh, Don Miner, the owner of EDA Trek. Uh, yeah, so the show airs on Wednesday nights on twitch.tv slash questhouse. And uh, I talk about all things casual magic. So, a lot of commander... Uh, we've been trying some Brawl. I'll be talking about Two-Witted Giant, especially when Battle Bond comes out. Maybe a little bit of Cube. Uh, whatever sort of comes up. Sounds really neat. One last question before we get started on our topic. Dana, I believe you recently acquired some new cards, is that right? I got a big, fat patodemical for the mail today. Um, <laughs> I know you're really excited to talk about them. I, I am. It's nothing even really for decks necessarily, but like we've been seeing this ridiculous buyout streak of reserve list cards and old cards going on. And I was like, there's a couple cards I've always wanted. And I'm like, man, if I don't buy these now, things are going to get out of control. So I last week I bought a, a Cyclopean Tomb, which is from Unlimited. And it's kind of like Quicksilver Fountain out of, I think, one of the Mirrodin sets, where it slowly turns lands into swamps. But I've always wanted one. It's, it's on the reserve list. It hasn't been printed since Unlimited. So I'm like, you know what? I need to just pull the trigger and get one now before it turns into some ridiculous unaffordable card that I can no longer just pick up casually. So I got one of those and I've already sleeved it up and I'm never going to put it in a deck, but I have one and I've wanted one forever. So it's now in my possession. And I also got a, in the eye of chaos out of legends is an enchantment that I've always wanted as well. It's an enchant world and it says all instants and interrupts are countered unless their caster pays an additional X where X is a spells casting cost. So basically it doubles the casting cost of all instants or they'll get countered. So I've always wanted that card as well. And it's in blue, so it's like in the worst color for that effect. <laughs> but I've always wanted one, and I'm like, you know what, this is also going to get bought out at some point. So I now have one. I don't know what deck it will ever go in, but I now own one just in case. I don't know, Dana. That sounds like a griefer card to me. It is a griefer card, absolutely. But much like, much like Dean, I probably will not play it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that you mentioned all those older cards, because that will be the topic of today's episode. So, Dean, if you don't mind us getting started with the interview, tell us about your Dig Through Time series, where you look at all those older cards. What specifically is the goal of the series, even though I sort of just answered the question for you? Yeah, well, uh, in addition to that, uh, it's sort of the inverse of Dana's series. Uh, so, in, in the margins, Dana looks through uh, overplayed cards that deserve less play, and I try to find the underplayed cards that deserve more play. So what, I guess, inspired you to write the series? What was the, the impetus behind talking about all those older cards? So I remember when I first got into Magic, uh, one of my favorite things to do was just to scroll through Gatherer for hours looking for interesting cards. 
and uh, there's there's like a rush that you get when you find something that you think is really unique or really interesting or really powerful, and you just kind of think about how you might use it or how it might synergize with something else. So this series was trying to sort of recapture that feeling uh, for me somewhat, but then also to pass it on to new players who maybe don't have hours and hours to scour Gatherer for unusual old cards. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that we notice with the EDH rec. A lot of the cards that we see as being really popular on EDH rec are kind of the newer cards. So we don't get to see as much of those older cards. And that's what makes your series so useful is to go digging through all those sets to find gems that we wouldn't see necessarily on the front pages of EDH rec. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, sometimes uh, a lot of these cards get hidden because unless they're really useful with some particular commander where they synergize super well, you just won't see them. So, And really for a lot of these cards, I mean, like if you're looking for a really narrow specific thing, you can maybe do a keyword search for it. But there are just times that you are just not going to find this card that works really well in your deck, either because you can't think of the synergy yourself or you don't know how to word it right until you just flip through every single card in Stronghold or something and you'll find this one weird card that works perfectly in your particular deck but the only way you can find it is to actually see it physically there yeah and sometimes you can lose cards because of old templating so you'll just sort of miss it because it doesn't quite hit the way you're searching for sure and it's really nice too i know a lot of folks have leveled criticisms against edh rec because it takes that old deck building I don't know, the the way that it used to be, that feeling away where you used to have to go through bins of old cards. And what's also kind of neat about the Dig Through Time series is that you are doing that work for people. You're telling them what types of cards to be on the lookout for because not all of us have the time to go searching through rows and rows of older cards when a whole lot of them are kind of janky, but some of them are actually really excellent. We just wouldn't know where to look. So that's what's so useful about your series in another respect there too. Yeah, definitely. So what would be a good example of a card that you've dug up in your series? Okay, so one of the earlier cards that I pulled up was from Torment. Uh, there's a cycle of sorceries. Uh, some of them are also instants. Instants and sorceries from Torment. Uh, the Dreams cycle. Okay, so this card is Nostalgic Dreams. It costs green-green. It's a sorcery. And as an additional cost to cast Nostalgic Dreams, discard X cards from your hand. Return X target cards from your graveyard to your hand. And then Exile Nostalgic Dreams. So it's it's sort of like a super regrowth, but not exactly because you're trading those cards in your hand for the cards in your graveyard. Yeah, this is a really neat card. It lets you toss a whole bunch of extra land draws that you don't need to get back a bunch of really excellent cards that you've already used. Sure, or in Masaryk it lets you dump your big juicy reanimation targets and exchange them for reanimation spells. Oh, I didn't even think about that, and I'm a necromancer. How did I not think about... Okay, I'm excited about that. Yeah, discard outlets are uh, one of those things that people don't really think about, and a lot of the old cards that I do highlight tend to be discard outlets. For example, I'm kind of in love with Spell Shapers. If Wizards is listening to this, please, please bring back Spell Shapers. <laughs> well, I think you and I talked about this one time, Dean, where like people tend to look at Spell Shapers the wrong way. They think of it as you're discarding a card to get an effect, when you have to think of it as you're transforming that card into a different spell. Exactly, exactly. So there's a card called uh, Silverglade Pathfinder, where you can tap it and pay a one and a green, which is the same cost as a rampant growth, discard a card from your hand, find a basic land and put it into play tapped, which is literally just a rampant growth. So you're turning a, I don't know, 
a forest that you couldn't play because you already had your land drop for the turn into a rampant growth to get another land into play. Maybe the off color that you need, red or white or something. And definitely not the type of card that people would immediately go looking for. So it's neat that you're able to bring those cards to the forefront with your articles. Have you noticed any growth in some of the cards that you've uh, mentioned in your articles? Do you think people are playing them more? I, I like to think that I have something to do with it. Sometimes I'll look back. Uh, so when I wrote about Nostalgic Dreams back in March of 2017, it was in 278 decks. And today people are running it in 470 decks. So... We'll pretend that Dig Through Time did that. <laughs> awesome. And hey, maybe it did. I don't know. We'll give you the credit for it. Don't worry, Dean. All right, cool. So you look for underplayed cards in old sets, Dean. Um, what's your metric for like underplayed? Is there a certain number or do you kind of go by ear based on how old it is? What's uh, How do you decide that? Yeah, I I don't think I uh, I opened up with explaining this when I first started the series. And I've actually had some people suggest good cards from the set that are are played enough by my metric. So I tend to look for cards that see play in about 300 or fewer decks. Sometimes if I'm having trouble getting to enough cards to write the article, I'll go up to 500 between, you know, 4 or 500 uh, decks. But that's generally where I shoot for. So it's a, it's a pretty low level of playability that I'm looking at. Yeah, and those are definitely a good way to make sure that they aren't like people know about them already when over 500 x people are probably aware of the card uh where and it, they, it might show up in edh rec a couple of places whereas like 300 or fewer decks you really have to go searching for cards like that yeah that's that's that was my thought so dean going through what's one of your favorite sets you've done an article over uh so when i started the series i really wanted to talk about time spiral block and specifically future sight but I restrained myself because I knew I would just go ham on it. And then I could never, uh, I could never quite live up to that. So I did make it to future site. I think it's about like halfway into me writing the article series so far. Uh, and future site was a blast to write. I, I loved it. If you have not looked through all the cards in future site, you should go on gather and just look at all the cards in future site. I have looked through all the cards in Future Sight. I played during Future Sight. There are still, I swear, Wizards is still printing new cards for Future Sight. I discover new ones all the time. It's ridiculous how many cards are in that set. It's true, yeah. <laughs> Secretly printing cards for Future Sight still. That's the that's the secret mechanic of Future Sight, is uh, eternal print, uh, eternally printing new stuff. So, so would you say that Future Sight's probably your favorite set that you've done so far then? Yeah, absolutely. Future Sight was awesome. So, so Dean, uh, what all sets have you done your digging through so far then? I've dug through a ton of sets. I did Kamigawa Block, which I'm actually just finishing now. Uh, Time Spiral Block, Ravnica Block, Urza's Block, uh, a couple of standalone sets like Invasion, Mercadian Masks, and uh, a lot more. And I actually kind of feel like I'm running out. You can't really write about any sets past... Alara block-ish, that's sort of the foundation of EDH, and uh, sort of from that period on, all of the the hidden cards have been mined profusely, and it's it's hard to write about anything from then on. Yeah, pretty soon you'll have to do Dig Through Time Ixalan. Yeah, and I, I don't think I could. <laughs> I've actually looked at some of the newer sets. I tried to do Return to Ravnica, and I just couldn't. There was nothing to... There was nothing that hit my metric that I could write about. Or at least nothing good that hit your metric. 
definitely a scathing review of Return to Ravnica right there. Right, I could talk about a, a vanilla 3-3 for four mana. So I know you also have sort of a, a core philosophy about the value of playing unexpected cards. Do you want to expand a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So when you're playing jank cards, it's not just the surprise factor for your opponents. It's, it's also that your opponents don't know how to inter- interact with the card. And that doesn't mean that you should be looking to cheat by not explaining your obscure cards very well. But if you if you couple it up with the surprise factor of seeing that weird card, uh, people might not quickly understand how to deal with it, or they might not quickly understand that they need to deal with it soon or else. Yeah, definitely an experience that I've had a handful of times when someone drops a card that I've never seen before. I don't I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to play around it, and. You usually you have to know what to do pretty immediately. You're gonna have to respond to it, if not that turn, then the next turn. And so if you're you're unfamiliar with surprise cards like that, it can really throw you off your game, and that can that can cost you that game. Absolutely, yeah, it can definitely put opponents on tilt. Do you guys like playing with unexpected cards in your deck, or do you like going with more the uh, more the the straightforward the things that you know are reliably good? What are what are your guys' reactions to that philosophy, Dana, Matt? I, I like finding obscure stuff, both for the strategic reasons that Dean mentioned, and it, if I am being honest, for ego reasons. I mean, I like being able to find a cool card that no one's seen before. I, I like showing off. So yeah, I mean, that's that's for sure part of it for me. Yeah, I'm. It depends on on what the deck is. I I kind of attribute like kind of an emotion to a lot of my decks. So if it's one of my decks, like I'm trying to win a little bit more with, I probably usually don't. Um, but if it's something like my Valduck deck where I'm trying to make everything you know, just as cheap as possible, there's some cards that you know I didn't even know existed. I'm sure you guys didn't, and I'm going to talk about one later. But it is fun to you know find these you know nickel cards that just blow people out. Yeah, definitely. So in honor of Dean's Dig Through Time series, we're going to move on to our next section where we're each going to try and dredge up some old cards that we think deserve to see more play. And here's the thing, the person with the best card that none of the others have heard of, they win. So listeners, you should definitely vote in the comments of this episode about which of these unexpected cards you think is the best one, and especially ones that you never heard of. This is a great exercise to try and challenge yourself to Find cards that you think will throw other people off. Dean, do you want to get us started with a, an unexpected card that we've never heard of? Sure. I, I'm actually, I'm going to pick something that you may not have never heard of, but uh, it's not it's not super unusual. This is probably one of the more uh, vegetable-ish cards. And what do we always say about vegetables in EDH? You've got to eat your vegetables. You can't just, right? you can't, you can't just eat pie. Uh, I'm stealing that. <laughs> That's right. I'm stealing that right from you, Dana. So this card is called Undo. Have you guys heard of this card? I have never heard of this card. It sounds like a white card. Am I right? No, it's not. I'll take them blue. Yep, Dana's got that. Should I give you some more info on it? How are we going to proceed with this? No, just go uh, ahead and it, go ahead. Is, is it from Portal? I, like, I remember playing with something that I think it sounded like Undo back when I was just getting started. Yeah, it was in Portal. It was originally Ooh. printed in Visions. And Joe, you said to just read it off. I'll go for that. Uh, so this card is, is very straightforward. It, it's, a, it's a sorcery for one blue-blue. Return two target creatures to their owner's hand. So what makes this card so appealing in your opinion? So this card to me is uh, basically a, a color shifted to blue. or you know, it's, in, it's in color pie, so it's not quite color shifted. 
Uh, but it's sort of like a color-shifted um, Reckless Spite, which is to destroy two target non-black creatures for the same cost but in black. Okay. So that, I mean, that's just a pretty strong effect, and I don't see this card played, and the only other card that really compares to this is Whiplash Trap, uh, which is three blue-blue for an instant trap, uh, but you can pay a blue to cast it if somebody had two or more creatures enter the battlefield under their control this turn. So it's a little bit more, well, it's not, it's conditional. Sure. So have you used this card to undo on your own experience? Has it been really powerful? What kind of decks would you run this card in, do you think? Uh, I run this in Baral, where I can cast this for just blue-blue. Oh, you play Baral. That explains so much. <laughs> I do play Baral. Uh, just because I didn't... Uh, I transitioned from uh, Talrand, and so it's sort of... Oh, that explains so much, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I crack that out when somebody needs to be taught a lesson, mostly. <laughs> Alrighty, so there's a, there's always those moments, Dean. There are. Alrighty, so that's definitely a card that I'd never heard of, and I like it. But is it better than my pick this week? My pick is Righteous Aura. Do you guys know what this white enchantment does? Ooh, it's a white aura. Doesn't have like a bird with his arms crossed on it. Not quite. Yeah, that's a different card, Dana. It is indeed a different card. Righteous Aura. Okay. No, at a surprise twist, is not actually an aura. It is a enchantment. For one and a white, that says, pay a white, pay two life, and the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. Full stop, that's it. For one white and two life, you can make any amount of damage that you're about to take just be nothing. You can just make all damage two instead. It is phenomenal. I've just recently found this out. A buddy of mine was playing it in one of his angel decks. He pulled this out. It's originally from Mercadian Masks, I think. Yep, that's and the I set. immediately had to go and find it and and put it into a bunch of my decks, especially ones that like to have a bit of a pillow fort to them. Because then, if you're gonna hit me with a gigantic creature, nah, it's just two damage. Or if you're going to, you know, combo me out with an enormous comet storm, nah, it's just two damage. Absolutely phenomenal card that has really saved my butt a couple times. It's kind of like a white version of Force Field, which was an old artifact out of. Unlimited and earlier, I believe. Yeah, super, I like it. That's a, that's, a, that's a clever card. Super neat card. It really falls into that line with Ghostly Prison and Propaganda, Sphere of Safety, those types of protective enchantments. It's a really great pick that I don't think anyone is running. Currently, it only shows up in 816 decks on the website at all. The top deck for it would be Olero, Aegis Aesthetic. But very few people know about this card. I had never heard of it until just a little while ago, just like a couple of weeks ago. And as soon as I heard about it, I needed to grab it. And it's been paying off in dividends for me so far. Matt, how about your pick this week? So I've got one that's under 10% of that number. And it's played in a whopping 55 decks, according to EDH Rec. All right, definitely a lot lesser known. When you look at the cards, or when you look at the card page, you look at the top, the six most recent decks... Four of them are Valduk, Keeper of the Flame. So you know it's getting a bump very, very recently. A bump up to 55, that is. So uh, my card is Mob Mentality. Does anybody know what that one does? I don't think I've ever heard of this. Does well, this give the enchanted you... creature menace? No, Ooh. it's even better. When a, when a creature attacks, all creatures have to attack? Is that what it is? Something along those lines? Kind of. So it's, it's an aura. It's uh, one red. For uh, Enchant Creature, Enchanted Creature gets Trample, and then it reads, and I'm going to read the card, not the Oracle text, but 
If all non-wall creatures you controlled attack, enchanted creature gets plus star plus O until end of turn where star is equal to the number of attacking creatures. Uh, I was doing some digging for my Valduck deck, and this card is going to win games. So it gives the Keld effect to whatever creature yeah. is enchanted. Okay. Sort yeah. of like that Martin Stromgold thing, right? Yeah. Right. That seems pretty awesome in Valduck. Yeah, it gives like giving the giving Valduck trample is huge game, and then you make you know twenty elementals swing with all of them. You get your commander damage right away. Mm, definitely, really neat card. Combines that going tall with going wide. Really neat effect. Yeah, fifty five decks. So you're welcome. Yep, definitely a card I'd never heard of. Dana, what's yours? All right, my card is out of invasion. Uh, one colorless and a blue. And it is Mana Maze. Ooh, I know this one. I think. Is this the one that says uh, players can't play spells with the, uh, that share a color with the most recently played spell? Yes, indeed. It's an enchantment. Yeah. Players can't, can't cast spells that share a color with the last spell cast this turn. Dean, you would get excited by a card that prevents other people from playing magic. <laughs> I wrote about this card. It only stops them from playing magic if they're daring to use colored spells. Yeah, which if is which is you're why playing you... a right. If you're playing a blue deck that's filled with mostly artifacts and artifact creatures, then it doesn't do anything really to you at all. Oh wow! And it's also why you play those devoid spells, Dana. Yes, and then if you know, you also have the option then if on someone else's turn, if they're playing a deck with, you know, for example, say blue in it because you're playing blue clearly because mana maze, then you can during your upkeep maybe you know cast a brainstorm or something and. And they'll lock them out of blue until they cast something else that turn. Wow, that's really, really mean. It's also really neat that it it does only affect, like, I, I don't know, just like, it does not affect the first spell cast each turn. Which means you, as the blue player, if they were to cast, like, oh, here's my big white angel that I'm going to drop and you counter it, well... You know what, I think my line of thinking is off. I don't know. This is crazy. It's just neat that you can like sort of hold your spells and then prevent people from getting ruined. I think we should cut everything that I just said, though, because the thing that I was about to come up with in my head is wrong. So never mind. It's still a really cool card. I actually just ordered a couple of these. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't know if it goes in that many decks, um, but like the, I'm running it in a Veil of the Nightclad deck that is entirely colorless creatures and has quite a few artifacts in it as well. And I'm running no counter spells. It's a non-counterspell deck. So I don't have to worry then about, you know, the, a blue player casting a blue spell and locking me out of counter spells because I don't have any in that deck. So that's kind of a perfect situation for it. But there's plenty of blue artifact decks that also could benefit from this. All right, listeners, you heard it here. Between Righteous Aura, Mana Maze, Mob Mentality, and Undo, which of those is the best card that you've never heard of? You should definitely let us know which of these cards you think might show up in one of your decks here soon. But it should definitely be mob mentality. <laughs> You're already winning Moldrotha. You don't get to win this too. I'm going two and zero. Oh. Undo <laughs> two is and oh. nice and nice and stapley. Come on. Alrighty, let's also move on to a head-to-head segment. I'm sort of in the mood to have you guys guess some other things as well, Dean. In honor of your Dig Through Time series, I wanted to have you guys guess between the awesome delve spell Dig Through Time, which lets you delve a bunch of cards in your graveyard, and then cast this awesome spell that lets you take two cards out of the top seven of your deck. Between that card, Dig Through Time, and also the card, Treasure Cruise, which one do you think sees more play? Treasure Cruise being another awesome delve spell that lets you delve away a bunch of cards to draw three cards. Which of those shows up more in EDH decks, do you guys think? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I am going to guess Treasure Cruise just because it winds up being one mana in a lot of decks. I think it's a simple, clean design that doesn't require decision making or thinking. And it's a common at the time. So I, I'm going to guess Treasure Cruise, but I don't know if that logic makes any sense at all. I, I'm going to guess Dig Through Time because uh, you can cast it for Blue Blue at instant speed to get a lot more card filtering and card advantage. Well, not card advantage, but the card filtering is much stronger. I think Dig Through Time is the stronger card. I would agree with that. I think it's a stronger card for sure. Matt, how about you? Uh, I'm going to go with the party boat because I think it was in a pre-con, right? It was in the Wizards pre-con, and I think that might hearken it to get some numbers. Hmm. So you are correct about the party boat. Treasure Cruise is indeed seen in more decks than Dig Through Time. Treasure Cruise currently shows up in 16,719, where Dig Through Time shows up in 14,963. But as we mentioned just in our short discussion here, a lot of us do seem to think that Dig Through Time is the superior card, not least because it is at instant speed. And it's not a very expensive card either, so I would definitely recommend if you're considering playing just one of these Delve Spells, that Dig Through Time, getting the card selection, that's a huge deal. So I definitely recommend that one over Treasure Cruise, but let's face it, they're both really solid. They are both good. Absolutely. Yeah, really good. Dean, do you have a pick for head-to-head? I do. Um, So I, I enjoy fog effects, and two of my favorite fog effects are Riot Control out of Return to Ravnica, uh, which is for two and a white. It's an instant. You gain one life for each creature your opponent's control. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to you this turn. And then another one that's similar is Safe Passage for also two and a white. Also an instant. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to you and creatures you control this turn. Which one do you think sees more play? Between Safe Passage and Riot Control, huh? I kind of like like riot control personally. Gaining a bunch of life if your opponent has a token swarm seems really powerful. Yeah, I'm gonna lean into riot control as well. I think even if you're not somebody who recognizes the value of a fog, I think there's enough life gain decks out there that like anything that gains them life. So I think it might squeeze into some decks just based on that reason alone as well. So that's what I'm gonna go with. I'll be the contrarian, and uh, yeah, I think saving your creatures is probably a, something that might, you know, intrigue a lot of people. Pull them in, so we'll we'll go save passage. Yeah, so it is actually riot control. The majority wins. Riot control sees play in one thousand one hundred and seventy-six decks, according to EDA Trek, and safe passage sees play in only seven hundred and forty-seven decks. What I really like about Riot Control is that you actually don't even have to cast it if someone's attacking you. That It's still, if you just need to gain a quick burst of life, Riot Control is also useful just for that effect really quick as well. Matt, what's your pick? 
So this week I got a couple of silly enchantments from Urza's block. Um, I have Defense of the Heart versus Pattern of Rebirth. So Defense of the Heart is an enchantment for three and a green. Uh, during your upkeep, if one or more of your opponents control three or more creatures, sacrifice Defense of the Heart, search your library for up to two creature cards, and put them into play. Shuffle your library afterwards. And then we have Pattern of Rebirth, which is also three and a green for an enchant creature. Uh, and it reads, when enchanted creature is put into a graveyard from play, that creature's controller may search his or her library for a creature card and put that card into play if they do shuffle their library. So, little twist on them. One is, you know, has to have a creature die. The other one, your opponents have to have three or more creatures. Which one do you guys think is played in more decks? I'm actually so happy that you picked this one because I do know the answer already, but I definitely love both of these enchantments. Getting well, three creatures is amazing. So, I won't spoil it, but I'll let them guess. I'm gonna say that um, I'm gonna say that Pattern of Rebirth sees more play just because it sees play in Boonweaver combo, which is also or can also be a part of Flash Hulk. And after Protein Hulk got unbanned and Timna and Thrasios became super popular, a lot of people built uh, Flash Hulk. So that's my answer. And Pattern gets played also in um, Solvala Brostorm decks as well however uh, i still think i think defense of the heart is going to be number one i think it's a clean easy to grok design whereas i think pattern of rebirth takes a little bit more planning and thinking so i think it's gonna be defense of the heart all right joey since you know the answer what do you think it is it is defense of the heart they're both oh. amazing but defense of the heart that's so cool matt i'm sorry to take the floor away from you but i'm so excited that you mentioned this card because i run it in my crucifix deck right now and when i drop it it's one of those cards that people don't know how to react to because all that they need is like just for three or more creatures to be controlled by any number of my opponents that means i'm definitely going to get to crack it unless they wipe the board and they don't want to wipe the board they want to attack oh, yeah. me it's such a great card and no one knows how to react to it because it's such an unfamiliar card too and that's goes into that thing dean that you were mentioning about the the benefits of playing jank anyway matt i'm so sorry to totally usurp the floor from you but it's such a fun no. card no you, you summed it up i was doing some research for my moldrotha deck that i'm in the process of tweaking and before i get the commander from you guys but I was, I was looking at doing uh, an Enchantress build, actually. Um, so being able to abuse Defense of the Heart, because you have to sacrifice it to get the effect on both of them, actually. Well, you have to sacrifice Defense of the Heart. The creature has to die with Pattern of Rebirth. But uh, being able to you know re replay those enchantments over and over again is really intriguing. So being able to get you know a Woodfall Primus and a Hornet Queen uh, seems pretty powerful. So, yeah, I, I like both of those cards, but Defense of the Heart... Uh, comes in at 4,400 decks, Pattern of Rebirth only 2,338, so... Yeah. yeah, Pattern of Rebirth I've also been using in my Marin of Clan Neltoth deck because it's so easy to just slap onto any random Sakura Tribalder or Viscera Seer, anything like that, and then immediately get a huge free creature after it dies. Absolutely. Excellent yeah. green enchant points. I love your pick this week. Dana, yeah. what's yours? And is it as good as it maps? Um... You'll probably be disappointed. However, <laughs> however, I'm gonna I'm gonna plow ahead. Two cards that are very very similar: Mortify and Putrefy. Ah! So, bo both are from the original Ravnica block, and essentially, uh, Mortify destroys target creature or artifact, and Putrefy is destroy target creature or enchant. Uh, excuse me, enchantment. 
Mortify is black white. Putrefy is black green. Oh, this one I so of those two. Yeah, this one I'm I gonna don't go with know. Putrefy because I remember playing that a lot myself, and it was it was in Return to Ravnica too. So I think it's just a little bit newer. I don't remember Mortify being in Return to Ravnica, but I could be wrong. But I think it being a lot newer probably gets it the bump. That does help. There's also, Mortify has a lot of other types of similar cards to it. So there's Mortify, but then there's also Anguished Unmaking, and then there's also Utter End. So maybe those cards, which all are black-white and can get rid of a permanent, they might eat up some of Mortify's space, might eat up some of the numbers that Mortify could take. But at the same time, I feel like green also naturally has a lot of that ability to destroy artifacts. So when playing Putrefy, you, you can kind of exchange it with like a Reclamation Sage instead in your deck sometimes. So I think I'm going to give the nod to Mortify, but it's not a confident nod. I don't know, Joey. Reclamation Sage doesn't hit creatures. Uh, and Putrefy also maybe edges out Mortify because it has the text... And that creature can't be regenerated? I don't know. Yes, it does. Uh, mm, that is helpful. I, I'm, I think I am going to go with Putrefy for this one. Uh, Putrefy is correct. Uh, Mortify is <sighs> in uh, just under 1,500 decks, and Putrefy is in just over 1,900. Excuse me, 19,000 versus 14,000. So oh. about a 5,000 count difference between the two. And I, based on myself putting them in decks... Um, there's nothing that really does what Putrefy does. I mean, Beast Within, kind of. But whereas if you're talking about Black-White, you're competing with Vindicate, with Anguish Unmaking, with Utter End, in addition to you know having Forest of Plowshares and um, Path to Exile in those colors. So I, I think in the end, it probably comes down to competition. Because at least when I build decks, there's enough stuff that bumps up Mortify, and Putrefy doesn't quite get edged out. Yeah, I, I agree. It. I've been trying to put Mortify into Athreos for a long time, but I just can't quite make the room because I have Utter End and Vindicate and uh, Anguish from Making. Mm, that definitely makes sense. So one last segment here, guys. We've talked a lot this episode about underplayed cards, but we also may want to challenge the stats on some cards that we think are overplayed. So for challenging the stats this week, Dean, do you want to start us off? I know that you've got a contentious pick here this week. Well, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good pick, actually. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so, I don't care if I'm disagreeing with the guest. <laughs> Fire uh, away, Dean. So my pick is Assemble the Legion. This is from Return to Ravnica. It's an enchantment for three red-white, and it says, At the beginning of your upkeep, put a muster counter on Assemble the Legion, then put a 1-1 red and white soldier creature token with haste onto the battlefield for each muster counter on Assemble the Legion. This card is good, it's fine, but it does not deserve to see play in 7,685 decks. Why not, Dean? Uh, it's just a little bit slow. Uh, you're, you're in red-white, so you're not going to play this between uh, play this before turn 4, if you're lucky. And then it just takes too long to get going, in my opinion. All right, I just want to make sure that you have ample time to make your case before Matt, you know, annihilates you. Uh, hey, I'll, I'll be... No. <laughs> go go for it, Matt. I'll fire back. Oh, no, I, I, I it's just... Oh, I will give you the slow. Uh, it, it can be pretty slow to get moving, but once it does, 
man, you you can overrun people really quick. And if you're playing Bor, like if you're playing straight Boros, just straight red white, you're probably playing something like Impact Tremors or Perforos or even Mentor the Meek. So you're drawing a bunch of cards. So it's doing exactly what you want Boros to do, and it's going to do it incrementally. So the longer they let it sit out, the the better it gets. And so um, very rarely do you let Assemble the Legion get past you know three counters or so before somebody has to answer it. One thing that is I always misread Assemble the Legion is that those tokens have haste. Like mm-hmm. I always forget that. Even if someone rats the board after you've gotten one, two, three turns out, the next turn they're going to be dropping four tokens. And if you get rid of those, they're going to be dropping five. And they can all attack you. If they've got any manner of creature pump, any glorious anthems, any anthem effects at all. like Cathar's I, Crusade. Oh, that especially. Yeah, so like that haste is, that's no joke. But I, I can see the slow argument on it as well. It's possible that my my uh, meta just uses enough spot removal because this always gets blown up before it gets to two counters. And that's another it, valid right. argument for it as well. If it's getting killed routinely, then eh, is it, you know... Right, and this, this is one... You, but you, you have to answer it, though. Once it gets moving, woo, buddy. Right, but it just... Watch out. I've just never seen it really get moving. And that's because of the speed, because of how slowly it accumulates those counters. I don't know. That's... This is one of those cards that like I've tried it before. I had a Naya tokens deck for a while, and I tried it in there, and it was absolute garbage. Five mana to not do anything for a full turn. Um, I, I detested the card, and whenever someone plays it against me, I never have removal, and nobody else does either, and it blows up the game. So I don't <laughs> know what to do with it. It was, I mean, like every single time I played it, it was absolute trash, and every time I've seen it played against me, it's been ridiculously powerful. So I have no idea how to evaluate it. I, I will say, I think it's better than Dead Bridge Chant, Dana. <laughs> it it, it kind of has that vibe where like it comes down and doesn't do anything for a turn, which is frustrating. But I think it's better than Dead Bridge Chant. Yeah, I would there say are a so. lot of cards that are better than Dead Bridge Chant, which is really yeah. sad. I always try to one make that day card I work. will make it work, and yeah, you will rue that day. Dana, uh, oh. oh, I was just gonna say, I've I've tried Splinter Fighting with Dead Bridge Chant and all those things too, and. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> Splinter Fright is so tasty in Maldratha. Oh, yeah. So, Matt, you disagreed with Dean's pick. Let's see if he disagrees with your pick this week. Do you want to fire off your challenge, the stats? I, I do. So, this is coming from the legacy player in me, so we'll, we'll put that disclaimer out there. But uh, 34,614 blue decks out there are currently playing Brainstorm. If you're not playing any shuffle effects, especially, you should not be playing Brainstorm. It's always really funny to watch players that don't really know how to cast Brainstorm and play with it. There's such a thing, it's it's called Brainstorm locking yourself out of the game, where you draw three cards, and they're not what you're looking for, and you put two cards back, and you have to draw them again. And they're still not what you're looking for two, two turns later, but you felt really good playing your Brainstorm. If you don't have a way to shuffle your deck, if you're looking for specific answers, there are better cards. Ponder, I would run an EDH every day over Brainstorm because you can shuffle. You can If there's not something you're looking for, try again. With Brainstorm, you don't have that without help. It's like If you're playing a mono blue deck and you don't have any fetch lands, don't play Brainstorm. Just do yourself a favor. Just don't. Dean, what are your thoughts? I, I will also tell you that, that the absolute worst feeling in Commander is casting a brainstorm and having someone flash in an ocean thief. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's just miserable. Yeah. That feels pretty bad. 
So, Dean, I know that Matt disagreed with your pick. Do you agree with his? Do you disagree oh, with man. his? Oh, I, man, I, I can't agree with this. Brainstorm is awesome. Uh, I mean, I feel like, okay, so sure, you could you could brainstorm lock yourself, but, I mean, those were cards where you were going to draw anyway, right? So you've just paid a blue mana to sort of see that your next couple of draws are going to suck. <laughs> I mean, is that if, useful? if you're preparing yourself for the worst, I guess, but then you have to put them back. And then you have to draw them again. So you're not drawing a bad card once. You're drawing a bad card twice. And it's still not the answer you're looking for. I think that's still psychological. It's like uh, the the sort of tiltiness that people get when they get milled out. Again, those are still cards that you were going to hit. Yeah, you have to put it back. But it's not like you wasted a turn unless you tapped out to cast Brainstorm, I guess. Yeah, if, if you're casting Brainstorm turn one, um, yeah. I, I can't even fathom. I, th- I think Matt's correct in the abstract, like just in the in the in the most abstract sense. Brainstorm is probably ran by too many people because there's no way all those people are using it correctly or know how to use it correctly or make that judgment call because it's a really it's a tricky card to use right. However, it's still a really really good card. So like it's should it's indexed it shouldn't be in, but that doesn't mean it isn't really powerful in the hands of someone who has built the correct deck and knows how to use the card. Yeah, the, yeah, the Brainstorm is terribly powerful. It's it's one of the best cards around and you can, you know, if you're playing it right, if you're building your deck right, it can be an ancestral recall. You can draw three cards, put two trash back, shuffle your deck and you have gas. But yeah, it's it's incredibly powerful, but so many people are playing it wrong. I I'm guessing of the 28% of blue players out there a good portion of them shouldn't be playing it. Yeah, that's fair. Mm, those are strong words, man. But I don't know. I mean, that's that's fair. It, it is you... a card that people should at least be conscious of, knowing how to use it, and it's a tricky thing to learn how to use. Very much. Sans Sans Shuffle Effects. Would you run Opt over Brainstorm? It depends on the deck. Um, maybe. I I I I would play, and I do in most of my decks. I play Ponder or preordain above brainstorm i do love like ponder and preordain those are two great cards the reason yeah. i like the instant speed is because uh, i have no counter spell in hand you cast a threat brainstorm now i have a counter spell yeah for sure and and there there's definitely those moments like i said brainstorm is incredibly powerful in in nearly all formats but you need to be playing it right is my that's my my bugaboo there's also been a lot of games where I've played a brainstorm and it's gotten me that last land drop I needed to like get things rolling and nothing quite digs down to hit that land like brainstorm does. So that's that's the reason I like it over over ponder and preordain because it's, it's it's what hits that fourth land that you need to get things rolling and who cares what the cards put back on top because everything else is happening now. You know, you've it's hit it hit that point where you can play the Rhystic study or hit that point where you can then cast that ambitions cost from black to draw down and it gets it gets things moving i think in a way that nothing else quite does that's when uh, it works though when it doesn't work matt's right sure. it can be hell but that, but in that case nothing else is going to work either like if if those lands aren't there i don't know if opt does anything that gets you to them either well you could cast dig through time yeah that's Ooh. true uh, that's for on you, turn, on turn four you're probably not going to be doing that though no, most likely not. Dana, what's your yeah. pick this week? My pick is in just under 7,000 decks, and that is Condemn. 
is a white instant for one mana, and a target attacking creature is put at the bottom of its owner's library, and they gain life equal to its toughness. So why don't you like this one? So once upon a time, when Commander Tuck was a thing, where if a commander was put into its owner's library, it stayed there. You didn't have the option to put it in the command zone. Condemn was a really, really good card because you could get rid of that Derevi or that Kalia or whatever and have them just gone and no longer a problem until the person tutored it up or happened to shuffle it back to the top. Um, today, though, when Tuck isn't a thing, you're reliant on removing a creature that's attacking. And when someone drops a Gingitaxis or drops a Marchesa and starts doing crazy things or dropping a Marin and starts sacking stuff, you can't afford to hope that it attacks, and it probably won't if it's a Marin, or probably won't maybe if it's a Marchesa. Um, I don't think it gets the job done the way it used to, particularly when it's you've also got as far as the Paul shares and Path to Exile in that slot. Mm. Yeah, that's solid. While we're on the subject, the Tuck rule change, I know, was really contentious in the community. Do you guys have opinions on it? or I think it was a change that had to happen because at the time there was, you know, a handful, what, half a dozen cards that, that tucked, but the deeper that density got, the more of an issue it was going to be. So they had to, at that point, either change the rule or face the fact that by adding one tuck card every year in the course, in 10 years, you're just going to see commanders buried constantly. And I think, I think they made the change at the time when they had to, um, because at some point there's just going to be some, too many tuck cards and they're so powerful at getting rid of commanders people will be running all of them. Yeah, I know for me, I consider the tuck rule change unequivocally to be the correct choice, which wasn't a really popular opinion because I know a lot of people were just like, no, my spin into myth no longer works. But I feel like for me, if, for example, we'd lived in a world without tuck and then the rules committee added tuck, people would have rightfully called them completely crazy. But instead, we lived right. in a world where tuck did exist and then they got rid of it. So folks clung to tuck as if it was a better rule for the game than it actually is. And that just, it strikes me as being just a, a pretty classic status quo bias. Yeah. I remember at the time when they announced it, I didn't have strong feelings either way. Uh, but looking at it now, I could it, it's it was absolutely the correct call. Yeah, and I think Condemn is a correct call too. I'm not sure that that completely deserves a spot in as many decks as it's seeing play in. It doesn't strike me as being versatile enough style removal. And the rewards that it gives are also just, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not really on board for Condemn. Yeah, and plus the creature has to be attacking too, so it's kind of a celestial flare type type removal spell. So some, I mean, sometimes people aren't going to attack with the creature that you really need to get rid of. Yeah, right, exactly. For sure. And they need to not have hexproof or something too. Like, yeah, that's just a that's a little rough. My pick is also a piece of white removal this week. An overplayed card I think is in way too much play is Oblivion Ring. This is pretty classic two and a white enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you exile another non-land permanent. And when it leaves the battlefield, you put that permanent back onto the battlefield. This sees play in 19,812 decks. And I just don't think it's worth that much play. The particular problem with Oblivion Ring is just that it's answerable. And... That can really mess you up, especially when people decide to destroy everything, which, at least in my meta, is becoming increasingly more likely all the time. Oblivion Ring is really cool to answer any permanent, 
but it only does that at sorcery speed, which is kind of an issue for me. I like my removal to be at instant speed whenever possible so that I can respond in a lot of different types of ways. If they're attacking me, then it can my removal at instant speed can be like a fog, but at sorcery speed, it can't be like a fog. So I just I like the versatility of instant speed, but more to the point, if someone you know cracks their oblivion stone, or casts all his dust or something, whatever I Oblivion ringed, well, it's gonna come back, and then it's gonna really ruin my day. And that's, that's not great. I'd much rather use effects like Grasp of Fate, because that affects all players, or Darksteel Mutation, because that is a little more specific and a little harder to get rid of than Oblivion Ring. Do you guys have any thoughts about that one, or do you just agree because my opinion is totally correct all the time? <laughs> I tend to agree with you there. Um, the, the two downsides you mentioned are the fact that it can be removed and, and therefore negated, and it's at sorcery speed. And I think I can ignore one of those two things. If it's an instant speed that someone can then deal with, I'm probably okay with that because it's instant speed. Or if it was something that permanently removed it, well, then I'm fine with that at sorcery speed. I don't active, uh, not active authority. Uh, Council Judgment is a ridiculously strong card. Even absent the ability to hit multiple targets, just being able to exile a permanent at sorcery speed for three mana is really effect, really efficient. But both of those things combined where it's slow and it can be dealt with is just too much. And it can do your least favorite thing in the world, Dana. It can become upside for your opponents. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Especially if you exile a card that has an enters the battlefield effect, because it, they you, just if you have to, if they're going to attack you next turn with this thing, you've got to exile it. But then if they manage to get rid of your Oblivion Ring, re-enter their Begarden Hellkite to do a bunch of damage to you, or their Eternal Witness to get them back some value, I don't know, just any myriad of enters the battlefield effects can really wreak havoc on you if you put your Oblivion Ring on them. Which, sure, the argument would be, well, don't put your Oblivion Ring on those things. But still, it that's, just, it's. That's it's why a you tough run removal, call. right? For those yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just think you should run better removal than Oblivion Ring. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have anything against Oblivion Ring. It's kind of like baby's first removal because it's been in so many products and, you know, so many sets. So I, I understand why it's played so much, but I agree with you guys. Like, you can do better. I'm not going to fault anybody for playing like a pacifism or oblivion ring or any of those kind of common white enchantments. But yeah, I, I, I do agree that there's better things you can be doing to get rid of stuff. I think there's also a good comparison to be made because um, detention sphere, same CMC, but it requires a blue as well. It does all the oblivion ring stuff and it hits anything with the same name as the permanent you're exiling. So like you can wipe out a token swarm or, you know, if, Two people happen to have skull clamps out and you want one gone, you hit both of them. I think even with the upside in the detention sphere of being able to wipe out a bunch of tokens or something, I'm not even sure I run detention sphere. Um, I don't in any of my decks currently that can. So I feel like, man, if I'm not playing that, why would I consider Oblivion Ring? But I mm -hmm. see it in decks where they're not running detention sphere at all, let alone something better, but they are playing Oblivion Ring. Preach, preach, preach. Alrighty, so those were some of the cards that we think are seeing a little bit too much play, and some of our favorite unknown cards that we think aren't seeing enough play. Listeners, don't forget to vote for your favorite card that no one's heard of, Undo, Mob Mentality, Righteous Aura, or Mana Maze. Which one of those is your favorite? Let us know. With that, I think we're also going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me, and Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Yeah, thanks again for having me. It was great. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Why don't you go first, Dean? Sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Grubfellow, as in uh, the, the card Squeaking Grubfellows or Squeaking Pie Grubfellows. Uh, I'm also on Facebook under Dean Thurston Goody. And yeah, you can listen to me on Commander Time. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. And if you want to hear me talk about Commander for another hour over the course of a week, you can find me on the, the Commander Central podcast at CMDR Central. Yeah, and I'm Matt Morgan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mathemus55. It's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. Same with all the other social media. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can follow EDHREC on Facebook and Twitter at EDHREC and the EDHREC subreddit if you have a question or possibly a request for a new site feature. P.S. If the EDHREC Facebook page gets 5,000 likes, there's going to be a giveaway. So head on over there and smash that like button for a chance at a cool prize. We're also doing a giveaway for the EDHRECcast Twitter page once we hit 1,000 followers. So be sure to check out the EDHRECcast on Twitter as well. Like Dana mentioned, you can check out his other podcast at cmdrcentral.libson.com. You can check out Commander Time at commandertime.libson.com to check out Dean, Nate, and Patrick all on that podcast there. You can also check us out at edhretcast.libson.com or contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help boost our visibility and help other folks find the podcast. You can find this podcast and more on EDHREC's very own community content spotlight session where we feature as many other Commander content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus to Commander Time, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, and until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. I should have talked about Stronghold I don't know that card. Oh, it goes in every bottomless pit package. One rat for two in the black. It has shadow, so they can't block it. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, everyone discards it. Ooh. You really are a griefer. Yeah. yeah, I like griefer cards. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.